Welcome, everyone, to the 21st episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. There's a lot of a lot of angst and anger going on on Twitter right now, so we're uh, we're bumping this show up a little bit. Yeah, man. People just must be bored in this bear market because the Bitcoin and Ethereum communities are really going at it. Uh, this all kind of started with Turd Demeester's uh, Twitter uh, rant about his concerns about Ethereum. Uh, which really lit a bunch of the Ethereum community up. And there's just been back and forth, back and forth, uh, arguing about what was real arguments, what were fake arguments, you know, what's uh, what's bad information and what's good information. Uh, Tur ended up on the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Uh, and then we have our own little, it's not directly related to this because me and Ryan were planning on recording this a, a while ago, but the, the timing couldn't be better, which is why we're bumping up this podcast. Yeah, so in this podcast, David and Ryan Sean Adams talk about Ether as money and essentially the bullish the bullish case for Ethereum. I'm actually not in this interview, only in the intro, but I will be doing a uh, Bitcoiners rebuttal with the great Ansel Lindner, also a friend of the podcast, uh, in a couple of days. But we wanted to bump this episode up a little early just because there seems to be so much demand for the bullish case for Ethereum and we want to take advantage of that demand and and get this show out, get the story out, and really get a podcast out that's not necessarily defensive, and rather it's just um, kind of talking about the fundamentals of Ethereum. Absolutely. Meanwhile, we are doing our first POV crypto giveaway. So if you are interested in receiving either a free brand new Ledger Nano S or $30 in Bitcoin, Ether, or DAI, your choice, you can either do one of two things. You can retweet the episode when we release it on Twitter, and it will be very clearly marked which uh, uh, tweet is the right one to retweet. Or you can send proof of review to either davida.hoffman at yahoo.com, or you can DM it to the uh, Twitter account for POV Crypto. So either one of those two things will get you credits into our our drawing. Um, and then we're going to do this for three or four episodes. And if you retweet the episode, you get one credit. And if you send a proof of review, you get two credits. And the person with the most credits will receive the Ledger Nano. And the person with the second most credits will receive $30 of their crypto of choice. Yeah, and... You don't have to do one of these things. You can do them all and you can do them multiple times. So we will give you credit for all of those things. Uh, Please share, rate, review the show. We're going to throw you a ledger. If you really have an opposition to ledger and you want a treasure or a cold card, we'll do that too. Whatever you like, we'll make it happen, baby. So grab your girlfriend's phone, grab your mom's phone. It all counts. As long as we know that they were each independent reviews, they will all be counted. All right, guys. I hope you enjoy the show. This is with Ryan Adams. It is Ether as Money. Ryan, thanks for coming on POV Crypto. Happy to have you here. Great to be here, David. Thanks for inviting me. Before we get into the subject of Ether as money, do you want to tell our, our listeners and our audience about what you do in the space and how you came to be involved in crypto? Yeah, just a quick intro on me. So my name is Ryan Sean Adams. I run a, a firm called Mythos. Uh, we do two things, but both of them involve uh, investment in um, crypto assets. Um, the first is kind of a general uh, fund and thesis around which assets will accrue value and become money. And the second is operating um 
validator uh, services for crypto assets we think of as more like taxi cab medallions. So um, they produce uh, discounted cash flow and we, we service those networks. Um, so those are the two things I'm involved in. Got uh, really excited about crypto in 2013, uh, discovered Bitcoin then, um, kind of fully fell down the rabbit hole when I discovered um, Ethereum a little bit later and uh, haven't looked back. Nice. Likewise, I can say a similar uh, experience with how I got into crypto. Uh, you know, experienced Bitcoin, but then really fell down the rabbit hole with with Ether, as as you said. Uh, I think I really like the model of your fund because it it it's actually perfect for the topic of this episode. But you you say your fund is focused on money, and then is focused on medallion tokens, which are things that will make you money. And so it's like a two part. It's a two-part fund that seems to converge on on trying to accrue more crypto money. Uh, is that about a right a good way to describe it? Yeah, absolutely. Like so, when we think about kind of the money thesis for crypto assets, basically, um, I mean, others have written about this uh, yeah, better better than I. But um, <clears throat> think think of um, money as um, a very large total addressable market size in the trillions of dollars, and thesis there is one or several uh, of these crypto assets can become a money. Um, and uh, right now, as you kind of look at the coin cap top 100, um, there's probably like, I mean, there, there, I could count them on, on less than one hand, how many assets uh, might have the potential to actually do that. Um, many of the others, uh, particularly utility tokens, uh, they might be valued as if they will accrue a monetary premium and maintain a monetary premium, essentially become a store of value, become a money. Um, but it's very unlikely that they will. Uh, however, some of these probably will prove to be useful as almost taxicab medallions. So um, th think of that as an asset that you purchase in order to work inside of the network and it produces some sort of, of cash flow uh, for you. So that's how we kind of view the world is you've got a small set of <clears throat> contenders, uh, uh, crypto asset contenders that could become a money, and we want to hold those assets for the for the long run. Uh, and then you've got um, a, a tail of other utility tokens that uh, can be used inside of networks, uh, and uh, we we can produce a cash flow by uh, operating services inside of those networks, validating and, and staking services. Yeah, you and I share a lot of very similar opinions about how uh, the crypto ecosystem is going to come. Um, and so uh, I would definitely I agree that that's probably if I had a fund, I would set up my fund in a basic under the under the same general theses. Uh, and so kind of getting into the meat of this episode, Ryan and I chatted a little over a month ago just about general ideas and thoughts about value capture and value accrual in the crypto ecosystem. And we, we both came to an, an agreement that uh, the, the discussion of Ether as money is not as prevalent as it could be in the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, I, I, we would both like to start a conversation about the potential of Ether as money. And it came out of uh, an absolute necessity for Ether to be valuable when it comes to proof of stake Ethereum, uh, because you know proof of stake Ethereum is the value of Ether is going to directly correlate to the security of the Ethereum net network. So if we're talking about hosting, you know, decentralized finance and security tokens and all these great things that we think are going to come to Ethereum, it's going to be really, really important for Ethereum to be secure, and that means that Ether has to be valuable. And the best way for Ether to be valuable is for it to represent 
commodity money in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so, so Ryan, where do you see Ether really getting adopted as commodity money? Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point. Like, I'll make one side note um, yeah, before I answer that question. Um, and, and, and that's kind of the statement that, like, I, I think if Ether doesn't become money, some sort of commodity money, maintain monetary premium, then the whole Ethereum experiment actually fails mm. um, because it will be unable to secure its network adequately or a competitor um, that uh, core crypto asset is a commodity money will far surpass it and the value will accrue, assets will accrue to the smart contract platform um, that uh, is the most secure. So I, I'm, for me, it's pretty crucial. But I will say, um, you know, it, you know, it, Bitcoiners, when, when they hear somebody from the Ethereum side kind of say that, um, they, they often say, well, that's a circular argument, right? You're just saying that like Ether will become a commodity money because it needs to in order to secure its network. And that's totally valid. So that's not the reason Ether is valuable, um, but it's uh, certainly a reason um, to to make sure that that it, that it is valuable and to um, uh, like assess the investment thesis for, for Ether to see if it actually can accrue value because it doesn't need else. But um, I guess a few spots where we, we've maybe seen Ether act as a commodity money. Um, like my favorite, and I know this is uh, your favorite, like one of your favorites too, David, that we can talk about a little bit, is um, in uh, in the Maker Protocol, where Ether is actually used as a uh, store of value primarily to back um, DAI, which is uh, a, a staple coin, of course. So I, mean, I just checked this morning, and, and for every three point eight um, dollars worth of, of die issued. Um, well, actually for every dollar of die issued rather, there's $3.8 worth of ether backing it. Now that kind of fluctuates um, from $1.50 to like, you know, $3 and $4 some, sometimes, but um, ether is being used as a commodity money to uh, effectively stabilize a cryptocurrency, which is, which is really interesting. It's almost re reminiscent of when uh, you know, the, the time when when much of the world before central banks all you know, converged to kind of fiat currency, um, when they based their uh, underlying national currencies on the gold standard uh, and essentially had a, a commodity metal backing uh, their national uh, currency. Of course, this is before 1971 Bretton Woods, but um, it, it's almost reminiscent of that. I think that is a a major area where um, Ether is, is acting as a, uh, a commodity money, as a store of value in particular. Um, you know, I know you've written some articles about that. Like, um, it, it, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is that is that an area that you see as, as being sort of a, a use case uh, for commodity money in, on Ether? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that kind of proves to me that, that Bitcoiners who attack Ether as not being money, that, that where that argument starts to fall short. And you said something earlier about, um, you know, proof of stake can't be secured just by the necessity of Ether being needing to be valuable in order to secure proof of stake. And so Kevin Pham, who's an avid Bitcoiner, and my co-host Christian loves this meme, uh, will release a, a meme photograph on, on Twitter every now and then. Of, a, of an extension cord plugged into itself as and as that's like the joke of ethereum as proof of stake and he would be totally right 
if there yeah. wasn't also an economy built into that extension cord somewhere. So I think whereas like that's the that's the short-sighted attack of proof of stake is just a, an extension cord plugged into itself. I think the real way to describe a proof of stake ecosystem is an ex- uh, like a, a microphone with right next to a a, a speaker. And if yeah. there's not enough signal coming out of the speaker, then that proof of stake ecosystem will die. But if there is plenty of, of signal, uh, and what signal is, is an economy. And so the more, in, the stronger the economy, the better the signal coming out of the speaker. And then all of a sudden you create this positive feedback loop. So MakerDAO, I think, is probably the biggest signal we have inside of the Ethereum ecosystem of Ether being used as money. Uh, it's it's uh, like we said, it's a one to one comparison of the way um, cash money was created when it was backed by gold. Uh, and then we also have examples like Augur, which is a prediction market with this token that doesn't represent money. But rep- like like what you say is a medallion token that enables you access to money based on the services that you create. And so and, and Augur and MakerDAO are, are two of Ethereum's like biggest projects with the most branding. Uh, and both of them are allowing you to do some work for some money or use money in order to create a stable asset. Uh, and and so the, the parallels here, I think, are inarguable. That There's absolutely uh, use cases for Ether as money. Um, and so I think that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and I, I you know, to extend that point, like, um, I, I think it's an important, and by the way, um, you know, Ether is a commodity money backing a uh, stable cryptocurrency. Um, I'm I'm actually sometimes surprised that more uh, Bitcoin folks and even maximalists don't get behind that idea because it sounds like almost downright Austrian. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. it's like um, it's very like um, you know uh, the 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 die is is always over collateralized. It's uh, fully transparent. Um, you know, every every single die issued is backed by something. Um, it's a, it's almost like a gold standard esque type of idea. Absolutely. Uh, and um, yeah, the, I, I, for whatever reason, the coiners haven't um, kind of attached to that idea in a, in a big way. Um, I, I do think they might get more excited about it when um, WBTC becomes a um, uh, collateral that that also backs die. Um, but we will have to see on that. Um, I, I guess, like overall, when I when I think about um, you know the, the the analogy that that you, you mentioned, Kevin Pham uh, said, I, I I think that a lot of the arguments against uh, ether as money coming from maximalists are um, j- just somewhat uh, narrowly applied, like like narrowly applied to ether. I think that same argument of like an extension cord plugged into uh, plugged into itself. Um, can be used for Bitcoin too, right? Like, mm-hmm. so if Bitcoin have a certain, uh, you know, monetary premium, um, basically no one will be incentivized to to mine it, and proof of work kind of fails too. So, it's it's I, I guess a major theme when I think of Ether as um, becoming commodity money. Many of the arguments that maximalists maximalists make for Bitcoin um, around, you know. Um, uh, uh, censorship resistant, inflation resistant, um, self-sovereign, non-state backed currency, those can also be made for either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm surprised that there, there's not more, more talk of that. Um, because I actually agree with, 
um, folks like Murad, many of the maximalists, you know, when they talk about uh, crypto asset, cryptocurrencies um, versus, you know, things like fiat money, I just wish they would uh, expand their horizon and take a look at um, like non-Bitcoin crypto assets, in particular Ether, that um, can perform the similar functions. I'm not sure why they don't. Like, do you know? Like, like, do you have any thoughts on that? Is it is it? Um, uh, do they not know about it? Do they genuinely think that um, you know, kind of sound money and fixed supply properties make make Bitcoin special? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there the the zero percent inflation past a certain point i think is the thing that attracts the most people uh because it's a very simple value proposition to make and it was the value proposition that was satoshi was directly making from day one uh so it's not it's, it's not difficult to get that value proposition across which makes it so scalable to so many people uh like the the whole idea that there will never be any more bitcoin mined so if you buy or anyone any more than 21 million bitcoin so if you buy some now, you'll have the same percentage of the network in the future. It's that's that is the number one attraction of cryptocurrency, and it's not until later where you start to find out like what else about cryptocurrency is cool, like mainly Ethereum. Uh, and so I I, th- I think the the hard limit, and I, the Murad makes the argument about, um, uh, and I and I kind of agreed for this for a while about like if there is an absolute limit and eventual zero percent inflation, then People are in, like their hands are forced with what money they cho- they choose, and so eventually they will always have to, uh, you know, cash out their money to the bottom of the financial stack. And the financial stack I'm I'm illustrating is something that the, there's a bunch of different assets, but at the end of the day, you want to secure your value in the thing that you know will always hold its value the best. Uh, and so something that has a, a a zero percent inflation in the long term uh, will always be the best for that. But I also think that's a mistake uh, because of the way that proof of stake is set up. I think that, and this is actually unfounded, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But in, under the assumption that proof of stake gets up and running and uh, staking is a, a live thing, I actually think Ether might be more deflationary than Bitcoin because of the underlying incentive for people to constantly pull off 32 ether in chunks as fast as they can from the market in order to stake it. And so whereas Bitcoin is deflationary via uh, constant supply, in practice, I think Ethereum might be actively deflationary through a decreasing supply. And so it's, it's, if they're into the idea of owning a percentage of the network, I mean, it's, it's kind of a yin and a yang. Like the, the, the Bitcoin, the, the supply is stable, um, but with Ether, it's it, I guess it's more about like the 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 size of Ether on the secondary market is that's always decreasing, which is really about price accrual. Which uh, let's be honest, if Bitcoiners weren't about price accrual, they wouldn't be Bitcoiners. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with what you said, and like I think that um, uh, you're right that 21 million is a really attractive meme because it's so simple, easy to communicate, like it's easy to talk about the you know, the, the happening um, every uh, is it four years, right? Four years. Um, and like, it, it's very, I mean, people intuitively get that. Whereas um, right now, uh, Ethereum's monetary policy and issuance schedule um, is not completely defined. Um, right. But, but I also agree with you, like, 
if you actually look at the numbers and you take kind of the time to um, model out what um, like the Ethereum monetary, we'll call it kind of monetary supply roadmap is, um, take into account like Constantinople, which is um, a block reduction proposal that's going to affect um, later in Jan January that reduces block rewards from three to two. Um, if you take into account Serenity, you just kind of model that out. Um, it starts to look a lot like uh, Bitcoin's mm -hmm. um, supply schedule, right? Uh, Eric Connor did some good work on this, and uh, I know he just um, uh, published uh, EPUB. Mm -hmm. uh, but he kind of modeled Congrats, out Eric. the. Yeah, good job, man. And he he he, he kind of modeled out um, ETH supply, and so it's going to be drop. Inflation's going to be dropping to around four percent uh, in January, ETH issuance, annual issuance. Whereas Bitcoin's like 3.8% mm -hmm. right now. And when you look forward to the, the latest uh, Serenity spec, post proof of stake and uh, post Serenity, it looks like issuance might be in the 1% to 2% range for Ethereum. Um, the next block, like happening for Bitcoin is something like, you know, one, it'll drop to 1.8%. So, like, if you're looking at raw issuance, it's in the same ballpark. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Ethereum just doesn't have that kind of that 21 million need right. uh, to really rally uh, upon. So I, I, I give it points for mean value. I just don't know if that's um, enough to actually, um, you know, count, right? right. Like, because what I look at is actual, like, what's the actual um, yeah, inflation and, and supply expansion of this underlying asset? And when you take the time to do that, and I think more and more tools are, are going to bring um, those numbers to the forefront, you, you find it's not that much different um, than what, what Bitcoins is eventually going to be. Um, I also, uh, like, I don't know if you give some thought to this, but I also wonder if, if fixed supply is not going to, at some point, come back to bite Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it turns out that um, basically transaction fees aren't enough to pay for the network security. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, the fixed supply, um, it, it, like, like we've said, it's easy to get across and easy to communicate. Uh, the, and it, the, the other really valuable thing about it is that there, it's an absence of monetary policy. Uh, and I think right. a lot of Bitcoiners really, really like that. And so when, when the, we see, when they see that ether, uh, blocks, uh, block rewards are getting cut from three to two and there was be these difficulty bombs and, you know, the find the monetary policy around ether is basically totally absent. Um, but that's also what's required in order to make ether to be what it is. Cause we don't know what as, as humanity, we don't know what the hell we're doing. Like this is, we are flying in the dark. And so it's it, having Bitcoin as this, you know, absolutely zero uh, monetary policy is really valuable to start the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And but when we want to do something a little bit more ambitious, like Ethereum, we're, we need to start in a very centralized manner. And we'll we'll get into the centralization issues of Ethereum later. But we need to start in a centralized manner and we need to experiment well. Uh, and so that's and that's how we will know. Uh, that's how we're, we'll kind of feel around in the dark and figure out what is the right design choices to make and so ethereum whereas it'll start off on shaky ground and kind of converge on what's generally 
the right supply uh, rate issuance, which is going to be dynamic, which I think is a really ingenious way to make to, to set it up. So if there's low staking, it will incentivize more staking by creating more issuance and then vice versa. And so that really solves the problem of what you brought up, which was uh, the fee market. And so if Bitcoin's fee market doesn't work, then that is the end of Bitcoin. Uh, and so it's it's Bitcoin is is a race against itself to become ex- so incredibly valuable that the fee market can replace all block rewards. I think something like seventy million dollars a day gets issued via the Bitcoin blockchain, and that yeah. needs to be replaced by fees. Uh, I don't know what the percentage of transaction fees are part of Bitcoin blocks, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's under five percent. And so at some point that needs to totally flip. And so that's a negative that Bitcoin has that Ethereum doesn't because because of the dynamic uh, supply schedule of Ethereum based on the percentage of, of stakers, uh, Ethereum has basically solved that problem of the fee market by always making sure there's a minimum level of security no matter what the activity is on the blockchain. Yeah, exactly. And th- there's another thing. It's it's sort of um, often brought up on, on kind of the Bitcoin side, um, like as a slight against Ethereum. So just because Ethereum's monetary policy and issuance schedule isn't fully defined doesn't mean it's going to get significantly like worse. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that like um, the, the Ethereum community or court, these like the fairies core devs or, you know, King Vitalik are going to suddenly print all of this either. <laughs> um, it seems like there, there's this <clears throat> like weird porting of almost um you know, uh, state governments and, and kind of the fiat world, right? So, like, it's obvious why um, you know, governments print money. It's to you know, solve fiscal problems mm-hmm. and, and business cycle crisis and, and these sorts of things. Um, like, there, there's no real incentive to do that for anybody who has a vested interest in either. Um, you know, obviously, they can't kind of collect the uh the the new ether that they print so the incentive is always to actually like reduce supply until you get to a point where you have the the minimum necessary issuance to pay for security of the network so there it's always weird to me like you know even though ethereum's issuance policy has always decreased like it's always gone down you know it started in kind of the 20 percent and you know there have been been cuts and um, now it's getting close to uh, 4% in January. I expect that con- to continue to be the case. And it's a weird assumption to assume that like it would get worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, like if you look at it historically, it's just issuance has just decreased. And uh, again, I expect that to, uh, to continue. There's no reason not. If it doesn't, um, that's the other thing is um, these assets are very liquid. If, if suddenly, um, you know, I don't know, some renegade devs found some way to push a new monetary policy in, um, like, like that's at the point at which it'd be like, well, okay, it, maybe it should sell some ETH. You can always exit the position. I, I tend to think that like issuance schedule, you're looking at kind of inflation the next year, two years and five years are more important than like the, 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 the long time periods, like 20 and 50 years out. Cause um, to your point, like who knows what's going to happen in that time period. Um, so, so anyway, I, I do think it's um, like less of an issue than uh, Bitcoin folks make it out to be um, and could actually work out in Ethereum's favor from a flexibility perspective. 
Yeah, you, you kind of alluded to this topic, but um, like Vitalik as king and, and, you know, the centralized leadership behind Ethereum deciding to just, you know, change the monetary policy of Ethereum and how they just have so much control over the whole thing. The, the thing is, like, I mean, I don't know Vitalik very well. I mean, I, I watch his, I watch every interview he comes, he comes on and I, I enjoy listening about where his brain goes. But like he, I just don't think he's profit motivated. I mean, he's already a multimillionaire, so maybe he's he's done. But like even at the get go, like I don't think he started Ethereum with money bags in his eyes, like so many Bitcoiners have joined the Bitcoin network for, for that purpose. But maybe that's a generalization too. Um, it, it's just it seems to me that that people Ethereum attracts, you know, everyone likes money, and no one no one can say they're not profit motive. But I think Ethereum attracts less of that. And I think there's a lot, there's a big projection from the side of Bitcoin to Ethereum saying like, well, if I was in your position, I would totally mint a bunch of Ether and, and use it for my own benefit. Um, but it, it just kind of represents a, a difference of of, uh, of personalities, I guess, because uh, there's much less trust on, on the side of Bitcoin because that's the point. Um, and so I, I think they, any, anytime they see a centralized point of failure in, in Ethereum, they, they point to that and, and run with it, whether it's logical yeah, or not. So like, do you think it's a point of failure? Like, so say Vitalik were to leave, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if were to happen, Vitalik's out of the picture, he's exited, uh, Ethereum. Like what happens? Does the project die? Like, no, it's um, way too late for that. There's so many. There's so many good people building on Ethereum. Like even if if if, if somehow if Vitalik leaving meant that Ethereum wouldn't be able to transfer to proof of stake, which isn't even true because uh, proof of stake research is going on in in multiple different domains from multiple different teams across the world. If for some reason that did mean it's true, Ethereum would still be incredibly valuable based on what it is today. And so people would still take up the the arms and and run with it no matter what. Like the the ship has sailed, the the rocket has launched. This thing is up and running. And one of the, one of the other things I I often criticize and and to Bitcoin's defense as well is people all always say like, oh, the narrative behind Bitcoin has changed. You know, Bitcoin Cash people attack Bitcoin for changing the narrative from a digital cash payment system to a store of value thesis, and then Bitcoiners right. attack Ethereum for being going from a world computer thesis to a decentralized finance thesis like no one is steering these ships the bitcoin and ethereum are a decentralized autonomous organization by themselves with no one at the head and so these things define themselves and so i think that's going back to the topic of ether as money which is the point the point of this podcast uh if ether, if we see ether being used as money like in maker dow or augur or numeri it is money in those small specific use cases. Uh, and so if we see Ether as a decentralized finance platform, then that's the narrative. Like no one is redirecting where Ethereum is going. We're just discovering what it can do and what it's good at. And same with Bitcoin. So what do you think of kind of this? Um, uh, this is definitely in, in sort of the, the, the Bitcoin maximalist handbook, right? And Murad said it um, a few times in, in his previous podcast that there will only be kind of one um one winner mm-hmm. uh, from a money perspective or at least it's going to be kind of power law um distributed and just as like kind of gold won as a monetary metal and it became the only monetary metal that um retained a uh, a premium um there will be only one 
in the cryptocurrency space and and you know bitcoin is digital gold therefore it's gold uh or th therefore it's going to be bitcoin mm -hmm. i mean like what what's your reaction to that is is this does ether have no chance at becoming a commodity money because bitcoin is already filling that spot yeah no i i think that anyone that claims that is making a huge assumption using the past to project into the future and you know while while history does tend to re repeat itself it always comes in a different form that we weren't expecting and there are some fundamental truths to how tokens work that I think will really kind of shake up that that definition. Uh, so tokens are extremely liquid, and they all settle like relatively instantly. Uh, and you know, the, hopefully they all have value, or most of them have value, or or at least the ones that we're concerned about being money with. Uh, and so when when all of these things have this instant, they they have value, instant liquidity, instant transaction times across like a whole you know network the size of the internet. I think a lot more things could become money. And so like we could take take the worst example, like basic attention token. It's not going to become money in the same way that Bitcoin ever could or Ether ever could. But if you have, you know, 100 basic attention tokens and they're trading at a dollar a piece and you can use the 0x protocol to pay off your debt in MakerDAO, in one instance, like did did you just use it as money? And so I think we're really blurring the lines with with the definition of money when everything is a cryptocurrency. I think everything could become money-ish, and then there are always it's just going to turn into a spectrum where there's like absolutely money, no doubt about it. It's being used as money in every way, shape, and form. Uh, and then there's just money-ish things like basic attention token. Um, clearly not as good as money, but to, to assume that it's all going to collapse onto one or a very small number of tokens, uh, I'm not totally with. Uh, and I definitely don't think that it'll collapse just on Bitcoin because of the existence of Ethereum, because the, the power of Ethereum on top of, uh, in, in comparison to Bitcoin is to have the power of all the things that are currently on top of Ethereum. And to say there's nothing of value on Ethereum is to just be blind. And so the, the difference for me is it, for, between Bitcoin and Ethereum is Bitcoin is this pure raw token that, that has value. And then there's Ether, which is this, or Ethereum, which is this platform for building new things to use your Ether for. And so one is like this passive growth of itself as money being Bitcoin. And then there's Ethereum, which is much more active in the ways where uh, it can be used as money. So Ether as money is way more true than it was two years ago because there's just a hundred times more things to use your ether as money for it because of the growth of the ethereum ecosystem do you think that so so i agree with that and like one of the things i always look for in in these assets and you know it's particular on the on the money side what we choose to invest in is um is the asset being used as a money today right mm -hmm. Um, and I, I and I I totally agree with uh, Bitcoiners that uh, that holding store value is um, is a legitimate use case. Like holders are users. Like I agree with that. Um, same is true on kind of the the, the Ethereum side. But that's that's absolutely um, the best evidence, in my opinion, as to whether the asset in question um, is occurring moneyness. Is it being used as money? Right? Like is it is it held is it being saved um is it being 
used as a as a medium of exchange? Is it being used in maybe in small ways as a unit of account? Um, and I agree because of Ethereum smart contract platform um, and some of these, you know, like the smart financial uh, smart contracts that um, have come out and are locking up Ether and treating Ether as money. Even even the ICF fundraising craze to some level um, really um, leveraged uh, Ether as a legitimate money. So that's been kind of a, a, a huge sign that i've looked towards in um you know in in, in uh seeing ether start to um b- become a money so i think the what bitcoiners if they were listening to this they would say like okay yeah you get to have ether as your money for your internal ethereum ecosystem but bitcoin will be the money for the world at large i think that would be a, a reasonable uh rebuttal to to what we've been talking about do you have any opinions on that yeah, so I, I guess one area where I think there's um, a bit of a, a weakness in that argument is um, Bitcoin's lack of stability. So it, to me, when uh, Bitcoin maximalists talk about um, Bitcoin sta- stabilizing the future and becoming a, a like a, eventually useful as a medium of exchange after it's stabilized and after hyper-Bitcoinization occurs, it, it all seems like a little bit hand-wavy. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden... Bitcoin's, or gradually, rather, Bitcoin's market cap will grow so large and its liquidity grows so large that volatility um, massively decreases uh, until it's you know somewhat stable. Um, I'm not sure that that will ever be the case, <laughs> um, and I, I think even if that were the case, there's a lot of time in the meanwhile for um, stable coins to start eating up uh, market share. And um, start being used as as maybe uh, reserve currencies uh, in trading pairs, where where Bitcoin uh, may have previously been used as those. And we're starting to see this with um, with Coinbase and USDC. Uh, more and more trading pairs and trading volume um, that they're promoting with USDC as sort of a, a reserve trading pair rather than Bitcoin. Um, and in, I mean, from a consumer's perspective, especially if you're a new entrant into crypto and you actually want to use this stuff, um, stability is super important. Uh, so Bitcoin really doesn't have an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where I see kind of like going back to like um, DAI and Ether being a, a killer team up. Um, DAI is really the only um, like permissionless, trustless a stable coin that exists. Right, it's the um, only stable coin that doesn't have a burn and reissue function. Whereas every exactly. every other stable coin, the centralized entity that controls it will always be able to burn your stable coin if you have it if they if they need to do so. They can be revoked, right? Um I mean, it's 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 scary. It's um so so for a permissionless application, something like like Augur, for instance, you can use USDC. It would defeat the entire purpose of of the application. You want stability, you have to use something like DAI. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about DAI too is because um, Ether is, is the primary commodity money that, that backs it, um, any DAI demand obviously leads to additional uh, demand uh, for Ether. Right, DAI so, is Ether. It's like yeah, so triple Ether because it, there's $3 of Ether for every DAI. Completely. And it's I know you've written some posts about this. I guess 
my my thought on the the short term and maybe the medium term and, and maybe forever, as long as Maker stays on the Ethereum platform, Ether will have a very strong, like kind of reserve currency um, status in in Dai. Just because it's very hard. If you look at something like WBTC, um, which which might be coming to uh, Ether as uh, an ERC twenty, still a second class citizen. It's still not native to the Ethereum uh, blockchain. It still has a counterparty risk. Mm-hmm. From from Bitco, right? Um, Dai doesn't have that, so I, I wonder, um, you know, if Dai might escape outside of uh, the Ether economy and start being used in in maybe in other blockchains, maybe in other kind of fintech apps, um, you know, in, in places where consumers demand stability, and um, if you know, like that, that would accrue. I, I think commodity money benefits uh, to Ether. So wait, do you mean me, like if Dai left the Ethereum ecosystem in the same way that Bitcoin's coming onto it, like you would have asset backed or Dai backed assets on other blockchains? Is that what you said? Yeah, I think that's one use case. So for instance, instance in um, in Cosmos, kind mm-hmm. of a you know network of of um, uh, like a hub and spoke network of blockchains. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I know that they plan to import die as soon as they can and polka dot i'm sure it'll be similar but even in you know fintech applications like you know the venmos of the world um and and the squares of the world um i think a stable currency has a better chance of of being used and leveraged there and um, particularly any use case that requires permissionless um uh stability uh, Dai is kind of the only game in town, and all of that value accrues to Ether uh, over Bitcoin at this point in time. So that, to me, just feels like a huge blind spot that uh, that Bitcoin has. Yeah, and I think we, we're getting into the subject of general consumer adoption of cryptocurrency, and I, and a lot of the 2017 hype and that kind of bled into 2018 was. Uh, the whole entire world is going to be crypto people and everyone's going to see the value of, you know, a, a limited supply blockchain or everyone's going to be able to see the value of a smart contracting platform. Sure, more people will, but most people won't. Like most consumers won't care and they're just going to use the thing that is simple for them. And I think that it, that's going to be a decentralized stable coin like DAI. Uh, where the, the the decentralized value proposition is pretty uh, easy to explain. I mean, the entire crypto ecosystem is all about not having to deal with fiat currency anymore. We all want centralized money out of the picture. Uh, so that's pretty easy to communicate. But anything beyond that, I'm not so sure that average consumers are really going to care. So the decentralized aspect of a global currency is within people's capacity to understand. And so I think DAI, just on its own merits, will be able to become the stable, decentralized money of the world, which makes Ether as a proxy uh, the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I Sometimes I, I, I think about like the, the whole hyper-Bitcoinization um, scenario, and it just seems to me like the underlying assumption is that everyone's going to turn into like Austrians and gold bugs, right? Mm-hmm. Who really care about things like, you know, fixed supply. Um, right. And I, I'm not so sure that's where the next tranche of, of users really entering crypto is going to be. I mean, like if you, if you look at um, even uh, countries with hyperinflation, like, like Venezuela, for instance, um, 
you know, much better for them to have sort of a trustless, permissionless, uh, stable asset like DAI than something that's highly volatile, uh, such as Bitcoin in, 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 um, in the face of hyperinflating, uh, you know, country currency. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that, um, that could be a major catalyst for that. And I, I think that, um, uh, you know, Bitcoin has, has a little bit of, Maxwell's had a little bit of blindness um, on that on that side and, and just kind of thinking that the world's going to convert to this uh, Austrian economic um, like perspective and all become um, Bitcoin gold bugs. Um, I, I mean, all this to say, like, David, like, I really... Um, I'm not, I'm not in like an ether maximalist either, right? Like, so I absolutely right. see the path for Bitcoin to become money as well. Um, like, like I do, I think that it could um, become a store of value and then like maybe become a medium of exchange and eventually a, a medium, uh, like a unit of account. I think that there is some path uh, in some set like of, of, of probabilities that gets Bitcoin there. Um, what what really frustrates me though is that like many of those same arguments um, for Bitcoin success work equally or close to equally well for Ether, um, you know. And then plus Ether has this whole kind of utility aspect where it's being used in these smart contracts and um, it's also being used for for gas and in kind of powering the you know like th this entire economy uh, and like. Maximalists just are kind of blind to that. There's only like one alternative uh, in their mind. And when I look at the landscape, I'm like, you know, there's probably Bitcoin and Ether, maybe a few privacy coins. All of these have some potential to be, to, to accrue a monetary premium to be successful. Um, and in the face of that, I just, I like legitimately do not understand the maximalist uh, perspective. Um, like, what do you, what do you think it is? Maybe we'll get some more insight in, in kind of the next podcast when you bring on some additional yeah. folks, but um, like, why is that? Is, 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 it, is there something else that we're not seeing? Or what else would they say about ether? And it's like, um, it, it's kind of fail flaw. Yeah. I think, I think the maximalist attitude is, is more often correct. And I would agree with it uh, for a number of things, uh, mainly I do believe that there's only going to be one proof of work blockchain in the future. And so that is something that Bitcoiners can be accurately a maximalist about simply because the economics of hosting a mining operation is going to really force convergence of miners to only mine the most profitable blockchain. And there, there's literally just a limit of how much space and electricity that they have to allocate. And if Bitcoin is always the most profitable and dependable uh, proof of work blockchain, well, then all the miners are just only going to mine Bitcoin. And then the, the Bitcoin security versus everything else is going to be far greater. I, I believe that's a, a reality that we are going to unfold. I don't think that it transfers over to proof of stake because proof of stake and, and proof of work are non-competitive. And so we've, we've been talking as if, you know, Ether and Bitcoin, there can only be one. And I do agree with you. I don't think that there will just be one, uh, but I do kind of think that there's only going to be one proof of work blockchain. And by that same token, there's probably only going to only be one proof of stake blockchain. 
even though like staking on on one network isn't competitive with another, it's a kind of a lot uh, more relevant about capital allocation. And so if Ethereum as a proof of stake network is giving out more capital than other proof of stake networks, well, then eventually it's going, people are going to converge their capital just to stake on one network as a capital preservation mechanism. And so my personal thesis about the future of the cryptocurrency world is Bitcoin as the archetypical proof of work blockchain and Ethereum as the archetypical uh, proof of stake blockchain. Uh, and you, you mentioned something about privacy coins. I'm actually not so sure about privacy coins because we have the Aztec protocol on Ethereum that will allow uh, DAI to be transacted with the same levels of security as Monero. And so I think uh, if Ether or Ethereum is going to kind of gobble up a lot of a lot of uh, different functions and uh, all the other proof of stake network networks, because we can see like EOS is Loom on Ethereum. And so do we need to? I don't think so. And I don't think EOS has what it takes to really rival uh, Ethereum as a fundamental staking blockchain. Uh, and, you know, same thing with any other proof of work blockchain. So I really think there's a spectrum. There's proof of work and proof of stake are on a spectrum. And Bitcoin is all the way maximized to proof of work. And e Ether, Ethereum, will is all the way maximized to proof of stake. And so while I don't think that there will be only one uh, cryptocurrency, maybe there's three. There's Bitcoin, Ether, and DAI. So, um, I mean, I, I think that there's, there's a world where it plays out exactly like that. Um, but like another criticism that I've heard Bitcoin fit folks make, um, and really I, I would, I would kind of catch this more as a trade-off is that, um, uh, uh, Ethereum is too cavalier. Um, it, it, its style is kind of move fast and break things. Uh, mm -hmm. the whole you know concept of having smart contracts on, on the base chain is, you know, some would say is, is architecturally flawed. Uh, look at parity, look at the DAO, the parity multi-seed wallet, look at the DAO, um, the point to these kind of events. Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's true that Bitcoin takes a more conservative um, posture towards uh, changing its protocol, right? So there's basically no, no plan for layer one um, scalability on the Bitcoin side of things, right? Like all of the hopes. Yeah, by design. By design. All of the hopes are on kind of layer two, lightning. Um, you know, I, I, apart from lightning, I, I don't see much. Um, you know, like they're completely ignoring smart contracts. Um, they're ignoring privacy tech like um, snarks. Uh, it's too early, I think they'd say. They're very cautious in terms of, of changing protocol um level like making critical level upgrades and hard forks and all of these things whereas um ether and ethereum take a much more um like we're actually going to replace our entire blockchain with the new blockchain right <laughs> that's, that's that's scalable um we are fine with having a monetary policy that's flexible um like you know snarks bring it on Right, like smart contracts, yes, mm -hmm. please. Um, scalability will take like all of the flavors you have, um, and uh, so it's it's a it's a much different approach. One is conservative, um, the other is um, <clears throat> much more like forward uh, forward thinking and aggressive. Um, so I tend to think of this as as basically like these are like like 
you know, organisms and sort of their evolutionary strategies, basically, right? Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, Bitcoin has decided that it's just going to focus on becoming, um, you know, digital gold and not screwing that up. And then hopefully it can hyper Bitcoinize, right? Um, where Yeah, and both projects are doing, are taking the style that they need to in order to be a successful project. Yes. And so like you said, Bitcoin has to be the way that it is. It has to have absolutely zero leadership because what else would it be without it? And then we have Ethereum, which, you know, it's the most ambitious project of perhaps the last hundred years. It needs to have more efficient centralized control in its nascent form. And the, the like you said, the monetary policy needs to be a little bit more flexible and, and there needs to be, you know, faster changes. That's kind of more uh, kind of what we're used to with with, you know, tech startups. Uh, and the, what I don't see in Bitcoiners is the the acceptance or the agreeing that eventually proof of stake Ethereum will have, you know, slow to adapt qualities and tr- generally be like finished when it comes to financial or to or to monetary policy um because that's in the ethereum roadmap and they and i think you know and to fair 90 percent of them are saying like okay i'll believe it when i see it and that's a fair a fair thing to think um but in order for these both these projects to really achieve the maximal vision that they each have for themselves they need to be exactly where they are today yeah, and so I, I I I totally agree, and like in that in that way, they're both making bets, right? Um, mm-hmm. My my question is like that that might be an okay bet if you're like a, um, you know, a, a monetary metal on the periodic table of elements, and like all of the other, you know, chemicals that you're competing against, all of the other metals that you're competing against, all stay the same, right? Like due to physical laws of the universe. But I wonder if that's the best strategy in a world where, like, this is software money, right? Like, um, can software afford to not evolve? Uh, right. You know, like, I, I mean, what if Facebook didn't upgrade? <laughs> like, <laughs> from, from its version in whatever, like 2004, mm-hmm. it was like PHP, you know, crappy web portal. Um, can software afford not to improve and that's i think another maybe blind spot on the bitcoin side i don't disagree it's it definitely they're making a conscious choice and i don't know if they fully understand the risks of that choice in a world where this stuff is software and like it's more evolve or die yeah absolutely i really like the metaphor of the periodic table uh whereas bitcoin is gold but ethereum is carbon and not only is it carbon but it has a you know a decentralized network of developers figuring out what that carbon can plug into in order to create something cool. Uh, and so, you know, with, with a, you know, three or four smart contracts, you have the maker DAO platform and with three or four smart contracts, you have Augur. And so like what these developers are doing are taking all these other elements and seeing what fits in the puzzle pieces of biology. Like you said, these are bio, these are like bio, uh, what's the word? Biomimicry, mimicry, uh, where these are mimicking right. nature. And so, you know, if smart contracts are like puzzle pieces and so, or, or Ethereum is like carbon where like you can plug in different puzzle pieces in order to create something cool. And, you know, 90% of the time you're going to create a mess, but if you do it right, and if you play God a little bit and you put all the puzzle pieces in the correct order, you know, you have a decentralized uh, uh, bank 
that's in, that's incredible. And and to ignore that possibility, I, I think, is a fundamental mistake. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the the other the other thing I worry about on the on kind of the Bitcoin side is um, what are the ramifications in not deciding to scale the base layer to scale layer one, right? So you can you know Bitcoin can support five hundred thousand transactions, you know, per day. Call it um, that makes like only 500,000 people in the world uh, would be able to write a transaction to Bitcoin in a given day, right? Or, I mean, like when those costs increase significantly, that's basically not going to be regular people. It's going to be ultra high net worth individuals. Um, it's mm-hmm. going to be uh, big banks. Um, I don't know if you've read the Bitcoin standard, um, say, Padina Moose. Um, you know, he, he talks about this as if it's not going to be a big problem because, you know, a uh, thousand banks can essentially use Bitcoin as a as a settlement layer. But what that's the same thing. Yeah, right. But what that what that means is like maybe um, like maybe we've got this kind of new inflation resistant money that's out of the hands of the state. But the entire like bank layer is completely centralized. We've replaced right. Bank of America with maybe Coinbase and Binance and uh, you know a couple new crypto banks. <laughs> But like it's the same bosses or the, the the new boss is the same as old boss essentially. Right, right, right. Like so, except all the all the early Bitcoin do- adopters got mega rich on the way. Oh yeah, they're doing great um, in this <laughs> world. But like um, that's different than the Ethereum model, which um, you know. And again, there's execution risk on Ethereum. We'll not deny that. But the vision is to scale the base layer, right? Um, and to actually have kind of um, you know, I, I think of smart contracts and platforms like Maker as like essentially these are banks, these are autonomous banks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, decentralized, so you can not yeah, only... decentralize Coinbase's, decentralize exactly. exchanges, decentralize assets. Exactly, it's, just, it's the same models. You're, di- you're you're decentralizing the entire financial stack, not just mm-hmm. like maybe the the base commodity money. And to me, that's a um, a far more compelling future. Right, like if Bitcoin succeeds as a settlement layer for the wealthy and for banks, um, I don't know. I'm just like, who cares? Like, I, yeah, that's not what I signed up for. Right. That, that's this is what I said to you when we first started chatting. Is like, if if crypto is all Bitcoin and that and Bitcoin is all crypto has to offer, well, then I'm just going to go back to physical therapy because that's just <laughs> not cool. Right? Like, there's nothing interesting about that. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I think you have, in order to not become just a, a settlement layer for, for um, big crypto banks, like you have to have a strategy for scaling uh, layer one. So it's kind of back to that evolve or die, right? Like if Bitcoin doesn't have a strategy, then, you know, I like how's it going to compete against the platform that does? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, you know, that's, that's another way I, I think I look at it. I, don't, I just don't want to be ruled by crypto bank overlords and you know um the early bitcoin whales <laughs> in my future yeah yeah well our incentives are always aligned differently but that's i'm sure that's what they want right exactly <laughs> yeah so Ryan, this has been a great conversation do you have any other topics you think we haven't hit on um uh, no i think it's been uh, really interesting david so thanks for having me on um you know, I, I think um, the ether, the case for ether is money will become actually more obvious in time um, because we'll we'll see it uh, being used as money out in the wild as we've seen with some of these early DeFi apps. Um, what is there like 
over you know, two million or so ETH uh, locked up in uh, decentralized finance applications right now. Yeah, insane. Yeah, I mean it's it's already massively successful, and I feel like no one's talking about it, and no one's linking that to um, you know, Ether's potential to continue to be mon- like become a commodity money. So I'm glad we were able to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, absolutely. This has been already one of my most favorite episodes. I'm really excited to uh, to watch Christian, my co-host, reaction when he when he listens to this episode, uh, and uh, hopefully the stars align when we get um, when we ha- when we do round two, where we allow the Bitcoiners to come on and you know rebuttal. Uh, so to- if you are available, you are absolutely invited. Yeah, I would love to have a friendly conversation with uh, with everybody. I mean, we're all trying to push this industry forward, and I like I really appreciate your format and kind of hearing um, all so- all sides of the table on this. Of course, of course, Ryan. Really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. You are always welcome. All right, thanks a lot, David. Take care. So in POV crypto, we absolutely like to break the echo chamber, but you might have noticed me and Ryan basically agreeing all the time here, which is partly why we just had the episode, me and him, Uh, and then Christian and Ansel will do their own episode. uh, And so we'll be able to have two separate lines of thought, and then we'll be able to bring them together. Christian, I'm looking forward for you to be able to listen to this episode. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to it. Definitely going to have a little bit of an advantage with my episode because I'm going to hear your arguments <laughs> first, but hopefully we can get it all together and get a third show. This is fire content. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I know that Ryan is a really smart guy. David is obviously a really smart guy. And even though we might not necessarily agree, we definitely respect each other. And that is the ethos that we're trying to bring to POV Crypto. We're trying to bring discussion, break the echo chamber. Let's figure out what's actually happening. So thanks everyone for listening to the episode. Remember, if you retweet the uh, the tweet coming out of POV CryptoPod that releases this episode, you will get a credit for our giveaway for a Ledger Nano or $30 of your crypto of choice. And if you send a, a proof of review, a screenshot on your phone to davida.hoffman at yahoo.com, you will get two credits for our giveaway. So let's get that rolling and see who can get the most amount of credits. If you guys really kill it and just get a ton of reviews out there, we might even throw in some more hardware wallets. Whatever you want, just freaking review the show. Let's go. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CK underscore snarks. You can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. And you can find me at Trustless State, both on Medium and on Twitter. And now you know my email address if you want to talk to me that way for whatever reason. He has many email addresses. He's not going to use that email address for anything else. Packers, stay the fuck away. (laughs) Thanks for that. All right, guys. Have a good one. Will you just... Will you just...